Is God amazing? Amen. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. All right, so this is my third go at it today. So for those of you who think I look tired, I am. And for those of you who are wondering, who am I? My name is Cecilia Comer, and I'm originally from Seattle. My family and I, we moved here in August, and we've been coming to the church probably since September, and we love it. Yay! Um, uh, Our daughter, Janice, she joined church last Sunday. She's the confirmant. So we were really incredibly happy and excited about that. Um, I come from a two-parent family. My mom and dad are still married, going at it. Um, go to the same church. We were raised in the church. We all love the Lord. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of background about who I am. So you don't think that I'm a stranger if you haven't met me before. And, um, oh, there's my husband right there. (laughs) Say hi, Tessie. Okay. That's how I got to Georgia. That little fella right there. Okay, so today we're going to um, look at a scripture from the book of Luke, and if you have your Bible with me and you want to turn, or if you want to look at it on the screen, I'm going to invite you to um, please stand if you're able for the reading of the gospel. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse number 11. Now I only hear one other person's pages turning besides mine. (laughs) All right, here we go. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, 
Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years... I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But... We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Most times when people hear this scripture, they think about interpreting it as... um, the prodigal son, because the prodigal son's story is about the young man who goes and he is involved in lavish living. He extravagantly spends everything, but he wastes everything, and then he finds his way home. But today I want to talk about this scripture as it relates to the prodigal father. The prodigal father. Prodigal father because he also lavishly gives, extravagantly gives, but what he gives is love beyond measure, more than people would think is wise. He just gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And it's okay if a baby cries because God loves them too. I want to suggest today that um, Jesus wants to help us to understand a few things for, through this story. The first one is that um, there are different kinds of relationships that people have with God. Right? There's one son who was younger, one son who was older, one son who went out and he spent everything. He had prostitutes, he did some gambling. Who knows what all he did with his money? Probably got high a few times. Who knows what he did with his money? I'm sure none of you can relate to that. But this young man, that was a joke. I should have put on the screen, laugh here. Because we all have our own journeys and we all have tried different things, some of which we are proud of and some of which we hope nobody ever finds out about, right? Can I get an amen? amen? All right. So we have this one son, and some people can relate to him, that you just wanted out of your father's house. You wanted to be able to see how you could make it in the world. You might have wanted to impress a girl, so you spent money on diamond earrings or on you know, a fancy car that you ended up 
driving, well, you didn't drive drunk, but somebody drove drunk. Oh, however, whatever happened, the car is in the ditch and the money is gone, right? Some people can relate to wanting to be on their own, using their money, spreading their wings, doing their thing, only to find that their money is gone and there's a famine in the land. There's nothing. I don't know if you've ever found yourself at a place where there was nothing, not enough money to pay the bills, not enough money to buy a good, you know, decent cup of coffee, not enough, not enough, not enough, but he found himself without his inheritance, and then there was a famine in the land. There was nothing. He was so bad off that he was, you know, eyeballing the little things in the trough where the pigs eat. He was hungry. I mean, I don't know about you. Some days I want to turn that leftovers choke. Man, I am rusty at this, right? Because I, I have been out of the pulpit for a while, but I'm going to coach you along so you can at least laugh with me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working here, right? But he found, thank you, he found himself in a tough situation because he thought he had made it. He had all that money. He had everything that he could possibly want. He went out and he tried Everything that the world said would make him happy, but he was not happy, and he had nothing, and he was hungry. That's a bad situation to be in. And then his older brother, he was, he was at home, but he too had a different kind of relationship with his father. He didn't go out. He was the loyal one. He was the faithful one. He was the one who, who made sure that he did whatever it was that he was asked. His father said, I need you to do this, this, and this. And that son, he did this, this, and this. And then he even put on some more, you know, responsibilities. And he did it that way and just so. And he took care of that and he did that. And he wanted to be praised and appreciated and acknowledged. And at least he wanted, you know, maybe a $5 here or, you know, a, a pat on the back or a that a boy there. Just some things to say that he was appreciated but you know what things didn't work out the way he thought that they were going to work out either so then you have two sons you have one who took his inheritance and spent it and was in bad shape and then you have the other one who is has this seething resentment and anger and frustration underneath it all because he thinks he's doing all the right things he's doing all these good things and he still doesn't feel fulfilled what's going on I mean, at least if you don't blow all your money, you ought to feel good about the life that you're living, right? I mean, at least you would think so, right? Or if you have all this money, you're thinking, well, hey, I don't, you know, I don't need other people to, you know, to give me praise. I can praise myself with my money, with everything that I buy for myself. But both of them found themselves wanting. And I believe that they found themselves wanting because... They got, they got their eyes so stuck on their inheritance that they forgot that the source of their inheritance was greater than the inheritance itself. The source of their inheritance was greater than the inheritance itself. They found themselves with a father who loved them, but their heart was far from him. Can anybody relate to living in a house with somebody but your heart is far from them? You don't have to raise your hand. But I know, even growing up sometimes with parents, 
we find ourselves loving our parents. You know your parents love you, but then they do this and then they do that, and you can be in the same house and there is no love. (laughs) I mean, you don't feel it. They probably don't feel it. It's possible to be in the house with somebody who adores you, but you don't feel anything. And that's what was going on for the older brother. Jesus tells this story because we have different experiences with God. But oftentimes our experiences can cause us to think about God things that are not true. Sometimes even people can give us testimonies about what they think that God is like, but those aren't true either. So one of the reasons why Jesus tells us this story today is so that we can understand who God truly is as our Heavenly Father, who he really is as opposed to who we have begun to think and believe that he is. Both boys needed to have a better relationship with their father. Okay, I'm going to put my Bible down because this worked out better the second, the first service. Okay, need a little more space. So today we're talking about how do we overcome that distance that we feel between us and God. Has anybody ever felt distance between you and God? Yeah. Don't want to feel that distance, but we feel it anyway. And I want to suggest to you today that we might be going about it a little wrong. I stand first in line for that. We might be going about it a little wrong. Have you ever prayed to God and asked God for help with a particular situation and then God showed up in wonderful fashion, God helped us, and then we felt good and then we just kind of kept moving? Yeah? And I want to call that a visitation today that we prayed and we asked God for help and his grace and mercy visited us and we were so excited, yay. But God doesn't just want to have a visitation with us. He wants to have a habitation with us. He wants it to be a habit. He wants it to be a lifestyle where he gets to live with us as a part of our family. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. Not a, a visit, but a family. Not every once in a while, but all the time. So like when we come home from work, he's right there, sitting at the table, you break out your coffee mug, he's got his, and you just get to sit and talk to God about what happened in your day. Or if you didn't leave home and you're there, he's there. And whatever is on your heart, whatever is on your mind, whatever happened that day, you get to talk to him. And when you get ready to go somewhere, he gets to come too. He gets to ride in the car with you and he gets to be on your journey. So you don't even have to try to explain things to him. All you have to do is just be there and he's with you. Sometimes just knowing that he's right beside you can make all the difference in the world. God does not just want to have a visitation in your life. He doesn't want to just be a visitor who you invite to come over and spend time with you when you're having a hard time. He likes that. But oh, he wants to be so much more. The way I know this is that Jesus says that these boys lived with their father. And you know what? When the one son went away and he makes his way back home, 
his father is already there, already there, which means he never left home. God is never going to leave us. He's always going to be where we can find him. If we want to be in a relationship with him, all we have to do is turn and he comes running. That's my running pose. (laughs) He comes running. He is so glad when we want to spend time with him. Now, I see a lot of older men here, and you all have been through at least a few things in your lives, right? And men have, men, I think men kind of get, um, kind of get a, a, a rough go at it because you're supposed to be, you know, like these strong, brawny kind of providers, and you're supposed to know what's going on. You're supposed to be able to lead your family. You know, you kind of get this really big role, and yet you're not God. I mean, trust me, I love my dad. I think he is the best thing since sliced bread, but I also found out that he's not perfect. Anybody have an imperfect parent? Anybody here an imperfect parent? right. So one of the ways that we can find ourselves in a better relationship with God is if we are willing to acknowledge that um, that God is who God says he is, and he's not who we want to make him out to be. God is who he says he is, and he's not who we want to make him out to be. In our relationship with our parents, many of us have been hurt, many of us have been disappointed, and many of us have harbored that unforgiveness and that hurt in our hearts. Now, it's not something popular to talk about, but that doesn't mean it's not true. And one of the things that can stand in the way between us being close to God is thinking that God is like our parents. If our parents had tough rules and tough standards and we would get in trouble if we didn't do exactly what we were supposed to do when we were supposed to do it, it's possible that we can project that idea upon God and think that God is this God who is strict and always waiting to catch us in something wrong so that we can be punished and corrected so that we can do things right. But in the story that Jesus tells about his father, do you ever hear Jesus saying that God is going to try to come and catch you? Do you ever hear Jesus saying that when the younger son came back, that the father was saying to him, oh, well, you know, you did this, and you wasted my money, and you did that, and you're a horrible person. Did you ever once hear in that story that God judged the boy, that God had anything negative to say? How many times did he say something bad to the boy? Zero. Isn't that amazing? You blow all the money, and your father doesn't say anything bad about you or to you. Is that the kind of God that you really think God is? Because in all honesty, I think some of us would really struggle with that idea of God. God has standards, right? If we don't meet the standards, God is not going to be pleased and proud of us. But I have news for you. What we say about God is not as true as what Jesus says about God because he knows God better. Is that right? 
And Jesus says that our God is the kind of God who wherever you are, wherever you are, whenever you can, if you start making your way to God, God is there to hold you and to embrace you and to celebrate that you have come to God, that you want to be with him. He rejoices. He celebrates. You are a happy thought in God's mind. It does not matter what you have done or where you have been. God does not care about that. God cares about you. God is so excited that you are his. Now, if you think that I'm not telling the truth, go back and look at the story. Was God happy to see his son? He was delighted. Was it because of what the son had done? No, it was because of who the son was. He just was his son. Doesn't that make you feel good to realize that just because you are who you are, just because God made you, that he is excited about you? Now, you, you might say to me, okay, think you're smart. What about sin? What about hell? What about judgment? Glad you asked. <laughs> God is not sitting around heaven trying to catch you in a mistake so that he can judge you. He's not. There's nowhere in the Bible where you will see that God is just sitting around waiting to condemn you. As a matter of fact, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's talking about a loving father. A father who loves you so much that he would do anything for you. Ah, you're missing it. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to judge you. He doesn't want to be upset with you. He, he doesn't want any of that. He wants to just love on you until all you can do is just be like him. Just feel his love, feel his peace, give his love, give his peace. That's what he wants. So what do you do with this thing about sin? So let's go back and see what we can learn from the youngest son. That youngest son, he was spending his life, he was spending his money chasing after things that could not satisfy him. But when he got sick and tired of being sick and tired, when he got to the place where he knew that there was nothing that he could do and he had just blown everything, he was sorry and he realized he had taken the love of his father for granted. So he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to just turn around and I'm going to tell my father I am so sorry. I blew it. I blew it. I know I blew it. I'm not even asking you to count me as a son, just... Just let me be like a hired servant and I will appreciate that. I am so sorry. So he came to himself and he was heading back to his father. But how many people know, anybody got something I can throw that won't break? How many people know about the law of sowing and reaping? Okay, I'll take a pen. Ooh, can I borrow your water bottle? How many people have heard of the law of sowing and reaping? How many people have heard of the law of gravity? 
Now, scientists would say that it's not true if you don't test it and it happens several times, right? So what goes up must come down, right? Please throw them up. And they still went down. And the law of sowing and reaping is the same. What you sow, you will reap. If I sow apple seeds, what do I get? If I sow potato buds with those like little furry long things that come out, they might be roots, I don't know what they are, but if I put that in the ground and I cover it up, what am I going to get? And if I sow bitterness, what am I going to get? Bitterness, if I sow envy, what am I going to get? Jealousy, unforgiveness. Okay, I want you to understand that the law of sowing and reaping is just as real as the law of gravity. And what you sow, you will reap. So if in your life you have sown dissension and discord, you don't know where it's going to come from, but you will get it back. And you'll get it back a hundredfold. Why? Because when God created the world, he created it so that if he sowed love, then he would get love back. If you sow love, you're going to get a wave of love. If you sow joy, you're going to get all of this joy. You draw to yourself what you sow, you reap. Here's the problem. What happens if a boy knows that he did wrong, wants to come home, and then the father is standing here and the father is saying, but I have to condemn you because what you sow, you reap. It means that the father has to do something to make sure that he doesn't have to reap what he sowed. What did he do? He so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not be condemned, would not be judged, but that he or she, that we would have eternal life. Eternal life, John 17, 3 says, is having a relationship with the Father and with the Son. All right, I got a couple minutes, so I'm going to see how the Lord is going to wrap this one up real fast. I deserve whatever you're going to give me. Jesus says, but I don't want you to have what you deserve. I say, but I did it. And Jesus says, I don't care. I care about you more than I care about a punishment. I say, but you know, if other people find out, they're going to judge me. And Jesus says, but I don't judge you. I go to the father and I say, but fathers are mean when their kids don't do what they're supposed to do. And the father says, not me. So then I say, well, then what do I have to do to be able to come back to you so I can feel your love, that I can feel safe, that I can get back on the right track and have this joy that's unspeakable, this peace that passes understanding, this, this bright hope in a future that you promised in Jeremiah 29, 11. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to give everything that you've sown that's been bad to Jesus. And Jesus is going to give you everything good that he's sown. 
So he'll reap your punishment and you'll reap his joy. And I say that's not fair and Jesus says, but I don't care. I love you and I'm willing to suffer for you so that you can be close to the Father. How many people here have some stuff about the size of a handbag or the size of a small luggage tote that you've been carrying around, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, frustration, anything that's negative. Do you have anything that you would rather get rid of and have joy and peace instead? I don't know about you, but I know that we serve a good and a loving father who says, if you want to be close to me, I want to be close to you so much more. If you're willing to give up the hard stuff, the pain of your past, the trauma, if you're willing to give it up, I will take it and I will transform it into something beautiful. I'll take your hurt and instead, Jesus says, I will give you my healing. I will take your disappointment and I will give you beauty in dancing. I will take it if you'll give it, but you have to believe You have to believe. You have to believe. So today my invitation to you is to see the Father for who he really is. There's nothing bad about the Father. There's nothing judgmental about the Father. There's nothing you can do that will disappoint the Father because he's already taken care of that. He does not come to you pointing out your faults. He comes to you with arms open wide because he wants to love you into a lovely place. That's how you can be close to the Father. Recognize he is who he says he is. Be willing to forgive so that you can receive his grace and be willing to give him what you've sown so that he can give you what he's sown. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.